Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Awesomes, welcome back to another episode in our Extra Awesome series. Today, I am so excited to welcome back to Sorta Awesome, my dear friend, Erin Odom. Now, Erin is the author of the brand new book, More Than Just Making It. And she's also the founder of The Humbled Homemaker, which is a blog dedicated to grace-filled living designed to equip and encourage mothers in the trenches. You probably remember her for her Southern charm and also her wealth of inspirational, practical content that has drawn an audience of millions through the years. Erin and her husband will live in the South where they're raising their four children. And those of you who are very longtime listeners of Sword of Awesome will remember that Erin has the distinction of being the first ever guest that we had here on Sword of Awesome all the way back in episode five. Erin, can you believe it? (laughs) Episode five. I cannot believe it. And I am so happy to be back on the show, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, we're so happy to have you back. And so we are going to be here talking about your brand new book, More Than Just Making It, which I had the complete honor of being able to read in its earliest stages. I've kind of seen it go from just an idea that you were bouncing around to its earliest drafts. And now here it is. It's coming out (laughs) into the world. It's very exciting. I am so excited. And I think you were the first person to actually read the whole book. And you read the really long version before I had cut (laughs) 25,000 words from it. (laughs) Cutting those words is so hard, isn't it? So hard. Yeah. So hard. But then the final manuscript is so much better. So I'm glad my editors pushed me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in more than just making it, what Erin does is shares her personal journey, her family's journey of going from a place of deep financial hardship and how they were able to work through that, what that looked like on a practical level. She shares tips and tricks and hacks that she learned along the way and really just gives the reader a big dose of inspiration that no matter where you are financially, there is so much joy, happiness, fulfillment to be found in life. And Erin, I mean, I know you've talked openly about y'all's journey on your blog for years. So you've kind of gotten used to the thing of talking about like, we have been in some bad places financially. And that's a hard thing to do. 
Mm-hmm. It really is. It was really nerve wracking to be vulnerable the first time. And a lot of people who are the early readers of the book are saying, wow, you're just kind of airing your dirty laundry. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is one of those things that I've been doing for so many years now. And authenticity is a huge core value for me, as I think it is for you, too. It's an ENFP thing. We totally. want to be authentic. Yes. And so it's just kind of part of who I am. And if I didn't put it out there, I would feel like I weren't being honest with the world. Sure. I totally get that. So in the spirit of being vulnerable and in the spirit of authenticity, I mean, so you're going to be talking about some of y'all's hard moments today. I was going to tell a little story from my family's past of being really, I mean, we can talk about financial hardship or being financially insecure, but when it comes down to it, we were just flat broke. Mm. <laughs> I mean, all fancy language aside, oh. we were broke. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I remember we, this was way back before we had kids. It was when Kyla and I were fairly newly graduated from college. We had moved away from Oklahoma and moved down to Fort Worth where Kyle had taken his first job ever. He wasn't quite coaching, but he was finally working for a college, a division one college football program, but he had just started working there. I hadn't started teaching yet. I was looking for a teaching job and uh, I had actually just started working at Starbucks. It was my little in-between job as Starbucks barista. And I just started, I hadn't gotten our first, my first paycheck even yet. And some friends of mine at Starbucks were talking about how delicious the fresh baked tortillas from the little Tex-Mex place down the road were. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, that sounds so good. I think I'm just going to go by and get a thing, you know, like a little pack of tortillas to go with my dinner tonight. I ate alone by myself a whole bunch when Kyle was coaching. (laughs) (laughs) And so I had gone through the drive-thru to get some tortillas and the total was like $3.24. And I handed over my debit card and the cashier was like, oh, I'm sorry, you're cards declined. So we had the debit card was declined. We had one credit card that was maxed out. And I had to like drive away from the drive through. We didn't even have $3 in the bank for tortillas. And I just remember just being like so humiliated and crushed and just stressed. Like we don't even have $3 in our checking account. What are we going Mm. to do? I don't even remember. I mean, this has been years ago. I don't remember how we worked it out. But obviously, we we made it through somehow. (laughs) Um, but I definitely, yeah, I even grew up, you know, everybody who's listening, we all have our own sort of financial stories and our financial histories from our families of origin. I grew up in a, a family with six people who was the oldest of four kids. And man, I learned early the meaning of the phrase that'll have to wait till payday because mm. there was always a lot of expenses. And I learned early on, like, okay, that's a thing. I've got to wait till payday. And sometimes I still even have to tell my kids that. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> after payday, we can do this thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Erin, in your book, More Than Just Making It, you, like you said, you're really honest and transparent about your story. In fact, you start the whole book with you being in a situation that you never imagined yourself being in. And that is having to go and apply for government assistance. I was wondering if you could just kind of take us with you, take us back to that moment in time when you went to the Department of Social Services to apply for government assistance, kind of what was going through your head? What were you thinking and feeling that day? So at the time, I had a toddler and a newborn, and I never thought that I would have any kind of government aid. It was just something that 
quote unquote good girls in the South did not do. And if you did do, you surely didn't tell anyone about it. So I never had thought about doing it, but every month we couldn't make ends meet. We couldn't make ends meet. And I had a friend, I didn't tell many people, but I did have one friend that knew that we were struggling a little bit. She didn't know the depth, but she said, oh, I just read this blog post about this blogger who's feeding her family on a food stamps budget. And I bet you could do that, you know, feed her family well, like Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go look at this blog post and see what her food stamps budget is. Well, I looked at the blog post and it was $600 a month for a family of four. And I was floored. Uh (laughs) My jaw dropped open. And I thought, we have a family of four and our bed budget is way less than that. If we could get that much in food stamps, oh my goodness, we could eat like we were royalty. So I talked to my husband about it and mustered up enough courage to talk to my mom. We didn't even own a car at the time. So my mom had to drive me to the next town to go apply for food stamps. And it was one of those things where I was very conflicted. I wanted to get approved because I wanted us to be able to eat better. But at the same time, I felt very ashamed Mm. that I should be in this position. I, I, um, I walked in and I remember thinking, I hope nobody runs into me because we were living in the community where I had grown up and I kind of tried to like slouch down in my chair and, you know, cover my face so no one could see me. And I just kind of looked around at what the other people were wearing and what they were doing. I felt really out of place. And I was just praying that they would not call my name loudly enough for anyone to hear it and recognize it. So when they got me, they they uh, called my name, they ushered me down um, a hallway to go into the, um, the person's office where I was to apply. And the whole time I just sat there and I was just racked with nerves. And I thought, okay, like, let's just see what happens. And I was wondering if she was judging me. And inside I was thinking, I am an educated woman. I am a hard worker. I am above this. And I don't know if it was in that moment, but it was in that, that was the start of a journey where I realized, just came face to face with my pride and my privilege and realized that um, I was, I thought really highly of myself (laughs) you know, to think that I was above that and that I had stereotyped poor people. And I would have never told you I would have, you know, even when I was writing this book, my husband said, but you weren't like that. You know, you're not a mean person. And I said, but these things did go through my head and none of us think that we judge other people, you know, but the fact of the matter is the poor in our country, there is a shame and a stigma associated with them. Sure. And It was during that journey where God really humbled me and I came face to face with that pride. So, yeah, so I'm just sitting here again, just listening to your story and thinking about how everybody has their own financial story. It's not something we really like to talk about publicly, of course, but we all do, of course, have these stories. And for some people growing up with or current reality, government assistance may be totally the norm and just something they're used to. And other people like you, Erin, it might have been just a completely new experience in a new context. And um, yeah, so there's a there, everybody has their stories. And like you said, that that moment, that experience of applying for government assistance was humbling for you, and made you kind of rethink a lot of things. But here you are seven years later after that moment. 
here you are with a book out called More Than Just Making It. So I would love to hear what was kind of the turning point for you when in the midst of this journey, did things kind of either turn around or start to look up? Kind of take us through that a little bit as well. When we were walking through this journey, it was probably not long after I walked into the Department of Social Services that day. We were taking a financial planning class at our church, and the teacher volunteered to come to our house and to really pour over all of our finances with us because we just, we told them after class one day, we just can't make this work. Like Mm. even this class just feels very unrealistic for us. Mm -hmm. So he and his wife came to our home and they looked over all of our bank statements, you know, our budget, our pay stubs. We had a house in a different state that we couldn't sell. So he looked at our mortgage and our rent. And at the end of it, he said, well, you don't have a spending problem, but you do have a bad income problem. Mm. And he said that we didn't have a spending problem because we had no consumer debt at that point. But, um, we did have an income problem. And it sounds like, I, I think I was just really naive. I We had no idea we didn't have enough money to live on, basically. <laughs> I, we, we had two kids. And right. then while we were still walking through that journey, in fact, the day that he and his wife came to our house, I was actually expecting our third child and didn't know it yet. I would oh. find out about a week later, uh-huh. which was also really crazy. I mean, she was a complete surprise and here we couldn't even afford to feed two. But I didn't know, we didn't know what it took to support a family of four that then that became five. And now we have six of us because we have four kids now. So when he said that, you would think, okay, that would be really depressing. But we were already in this financial desperation. Mm. So it really wasn't. It was encouraging. It was like someone had lit a fire under me that now we know the true problem and now we can do something about it. So, you know, and it wasn't that we weren't already working different jobs. My husband was a high school teacher. He was working Saturday school, summer school, teaching an extra class during his planning period. He was doing all these odds and ends jobs. And I was doing the same. I was tutoring, teaching homeschoolers Spanish, writing for my local newspaper. But none of them were adding up to enough extra to really bolster our income enough to support our family. So at that point, I was still writing for the newspaper. And it was around that time that I think it was the same week, my newspaper editor and my best friend both said, you know, Erin, you should consider starting a blog. There are stay-at-home moms who are making an income blogging. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought, what are you talking about? I think, I don't know where I was living in this deep hole, but I had never read more than like maybe two blogs in my life. (laughs) And so I said, okay, I'm going to give this a go. I didn't really tell anyone that I was hoping to turn an income into it one day. And I had no money to invest. I didn't even have the $10 to buy my domain name. Mm -hmm. So I started blogging at thehumbledhomemaker.blogspot.com. And I called it The Humbled Homemaker because I had felt very humbled in homemaking and motherhood (laughs) and life. You know, I'm not humble. I had been humbled, you know. Right, right. And I was still on that humbling journey. So I started it kind of in secret. Only my husband knew. And I'm one of these people who I get really excited at the start of a new project. Mm -hmm. I think you can relate. Definitely. And I will just go in full force and then I burn out like a week later. And so my husband said, okay, I'm going to really see this one. You know, I'm going to believe it when I see it Mm -hmm. because you tried every other hobby and you've given up. 
So, you know, that was early 2011 when I actually started the blog. And then here we are, um, 2017, late 2017, and it's still going. And it took about a year or so before we saw any real income. And within two years, it had exceeded, exceeded my husband's income. And then in December of 2016, my husband quit his job as a teacher. And now that's what we do full time together. So that's my story. That is what got us out of low income living. But one thing I like to emphasize with my readers is that it's a different story for everyone. I think the key is finding, do you have an income problem or a spending problem? You know, and I talk in my book, what if you have a spending problem, here are some things that you can do to curb spending. And there's grace for whatever the issue is. Sure. You know, yes. yeah. There, there's grace. I mean, I did all kinds of research and there is um, this chemical in your brain that some psychologists believe that people who are spenders, that they get really excited and like an emotional high when they spend money. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have that. I spend money on groceries at Aldi and I feel really bad. <laughs> so, you know, I'm the opposite, but there's grace for you, whatever the source of your financial frustration. So I talk about that in my book, but for those with an income problem, you are going to learn how to create more income. You have to learn how to create more income for your family, whether that is a career change for you or your spouse, or whether, you know, if you want to stay at home with your kids and that's a dream you have, that was my dream, then how can you create more income from home? And so I talk in one of my chapters about how you can look at your passion, your skill set, your gifts, your personality, mm-hmm. and figure out maybe what that is for you. Because for our family, it was blogging, but it's not that for every family. Right. Absolutely. Well, one thing that I really love is that you're able to kind of take that big picture perspective. Um, And again, Erin, you're an ENFP like I am, and we're really good at looking, kind of looking over the thing and saying, big picture, here are some things to know. And also, I think in the book, you do a great job of not only taking that big picture, but also like drilling down into the practical realities of it and helping people see truly step by step. Okay, this is what you can do in the area of, like you said, feeding your family. This is what you can do in the area of like how to actually even have, um, you know, enough furniture uh, to furnish your home. And I love that you're able to take that idea of being able to do it in a way that's more than just barely making it and really mm-hmm. looking for these little hidden hacks and, and ideas to pursue. So one thing I would love to hear from you really, as you look back on this journey from where you were in 2010 until now, can you tell us maybe like three things that you discovered, like th- three things that you would not know now if you had not been on this journey through financial hardship? Well, one of the things is really what I just talked about, like that some people have an income problem. It's something that I think, I don't know why we don't think about that if we're struggling financially, but if you're struggling and you you don't have debt, but you're still struggling and you're not spending on frivolous items and you're still struggling, then you really need to look into whether or not you actually have enough money to support your family. It's not an easy or quick fix, but it is something that can be fixed. So that's one thing. I had no idea. I don't know why, but I had no idea that might be our issue until I found out that it was. Um, Something else I would say is that I really learned how to redefine the American dream. So growing up in America, in the South, 
the dream is to have a nice big house and, you know, nice cars, nice clothes. And thankfully, my parents didn't raise me like that so much. My dad had a really good job growing up, but my parents both grew up, I would say, pretty poor. They didn't want me to write that in the book, but (laughs) they both came from large families. And my dad, he always said that um, he never wanted my mom to cook hamburger helper because he grew up eating hamburger helper without the hamburger. So that was that was just the, the kind of family he grew up in, right. you know. And so um, my parents didn't really instill that whole American dream mentality in me so much. They taught me frugality, but just the culture at large just wants more and more and more. And enough is never enough. We could always have more. And so just walking in this journey, I just learned how to be content and be grateful in both want and in plenty, whatever season we're in. So after we had walked through this journey and we were able to create more income, my husband and I spent one summer with our kids in Costa Rica. Now you might think, oh, you at least stayed the summer. I like this nice resort. Wow, that's a 180. No, we actually, we actually met in Costa Rica and And um, we wanted to take our kids back there to experience the culture. So we went for five weeks. We really only stayed one week at any kind of like vacation-y spot. We ended up just embedding ourselves in the culture with the people. And my favorite spot that whole week was a 10-day, two-week stay with a a single woman. And she lived in a very small home for our standards in America. Her ceiling and her roof were the same. It was a tin roof that Mm -hmm. was also a tin ceiling. It was just the same piece of tin. But she was incredibly content. She has what so many in the United States don't have. She has contentment. She has gratitude. She is happy with enough. And I can remember just laying in bed one night and looking up at that tin roof and tin ceiling and hearing the rain pound on top of it and just crying because it was like something broke in me when I realized just I had gone really at that point from not having much to starting to desire more of the American dream. And it was just like, I was really convicted that Aaron, you have enough. And so just to realize that we don't have to have what our neighbors have, that we can redefine that American dream to fit with what we desire for our families to fit with our worldviews. And so something else, really, we've we've already touched on a lot, is that any of us, regardless of our upbringing, educational status, gender, or race, we can fall on hard financial times. Absolutely, yes. We can never judge while someone is struggling. Everyone has a story behind their struggles. Some people are born into poverty. And it is going to be a heck of a lot harder for them to crawl out of it than it is for someone like me who grew up in a very solid middle-income home. Other people lose jobs, have medical emergencies that cost, you know, a ton of money. Maybe their spouse dies suddenly. Everyone has a story. And I think the best place that we can be is on the side of not judging people. Mm. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. And that is one of the things I really love and appreciate about the tone of your book. And of course, it's as well as I know you, I know this is very natural for you. But I think that that sometimes um, when we're talking about finances, that things can feel a little judgy. You can be made to feel put down or like you're not smart enough to figure out many things. But you have you offer so much grace and so much encouragement to people wherever they are in the journey. 
one thing that I really like that you touch on in the book that I think is so important. You have a chapter called The Elephant in the Church. And mm-hmm. you and I are both practicing Christians. We're part of the Christian faith. And I think that, you know, you talked about in our country, in our culture, there's shame and stigma about being poor. And I mean, that's really universal going back to ancient times. The poor have mm. always been, you know, sort of marginalized and, and looked down upon. We would think that in the, the church with people who practice a faith with, and, you know, a savior who, you know, just really was so inclusive for people, regardless of what their financial status was, you would think that in the church, people would find a refuge from our culture's opinions about being poor. However, you tackle in your book, This Elephant in the Church, when it comes to what Christians believe about people in general who are on government assistance or even going through financial hardship. I was wondering if you could tell us as we're listening just a little bit about some of your feelings on that. Sure. One thing that I have noticed one thing that you hear all the time is it is the church's job to take care of the poor. And I think you hear you hear this from people mostly inside the church, but you may hear it from people outside of the church as well. Here's the thing. I do believe it is the church's job to care for the poor. But who is to say we can't partner with the government to care for the poor, especially when there are government resources there to take care of the poor? Churches most of them have limited resources. And then you have the whole other issue, which I touch on in my book, which I'm just waiting for some, you know, tomatoes to be thrown my way. There are lots of churches in the United States that are pouring multi-million dollar campaigns into these really nice buildings and equipment and programs for their own churches when their neighbors are hungry mm-hmm. and have no access to medical care. And you would say, okay, we well, in the United States, nobody goes hungry. Nobody goes without medical care. But here's the thing. Some of those people don't even know the programs exist for them to have food or medical care. It's true. Yes. So what if we, those of us that are Christians and those of your listeners that aren't, they can do the same thing. What if instead of telling someone, I'm sorry, I can't help you because we, you know, we have limited funds. I I can't help you. Go get a job. Mm -hmm. What if we helped that person go apply for unemployment, help that person, take them to job interviews, say, you know what? Our food pantry is is limited. We don't have any more food, but I know of these programs that the government offers where your family can be fed until you can get back on your feet again. It could help you get back on your feet because you'll have one less worry on your plate. Let me take away some of that shame. Let me restore your dignity and walk with you, drive you to the Department of Social Services, sit with you so you don't have to feel like you're alone and help you fill out the application. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um one thing, when I, I used to teach ESL before I had kids, um, English as a second language in the public schools in Mississippi, and we would help the um, immigrant families apply for free and reduced lunch for their kids because yes. they couldn't read the English. That's right, yeah. There are tons of programs out there that exist that can help, and I'm not – it's tricky because – and I talk about in the book, I don't condone government aid for life unless you, you know, have a disability. But I do believe there are people that may end up having to be on it for life because they don't have people to help them get on their feet. And people that are born into poverty, you know, I had a leg up as a, as a white woman who grew in the up in the upper middle class who has a college education. I had a leg up. 
not everyone has that. Right. A lot of people don't have that. And they are people with dreams and desires just like we are. And so as a Christian, I want to encourage the church as a whole let's get out of our our bubble and let's truly let's partner with these organizations that have resources we don't have so that people don't have to go hungry and so that people don't have to go without a home so that people don't have to go without medical care absolutely i love that i love that vision of there being instead of so much resistance of being able to say yeah let's partner together to connect people with resources that are there. I I really like that. So, so powerful to think about what the possibilities might be if, you know, if Christians really tuned into the call to minister to people who are experiencing financial hardship and, and to help people break out of the poverty cycle. So I'm so glad you tackled that in the book. I know that it probably it was another like sort of vulnerable and risky moment to do that because it's something we, you know, people definitely don't like to talk about their personal finances, but it can, you know, just talking about things like government assistance can kind of get people's, um, feelings worked up. So <laughs> I know that was a big thing for you to, to, to take on in this book, really. It really was, but I felt like it would be a disservice mm. not to when mm-hmm. I had been, I had been firmly on both sides of the issue, you sure. know, yes. um, I, I didn't know a whole lot about government aid programs before I was really um, misinformed and I, I needed to inform people once mm. I had been there, you know, and something else that you hear all the time is well, there's just so many people that are lazy and cheating the system. You know, there probably are some, you know, um, I think that there is a lot less abuse of the system than we think that there is. That's just, a, that's a stereotype. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you do a good job of breaking down a lot of stereotypes in the book. So before we wrap up, Erin, I would love for you to think about this. If you right now, 2017, Erin, could just magically travel back in time and take 2010 Erin out for a coffee, which I'm sure she would have thought was a great luxury at the time. If you could go back and take her out for coffee, what would you tell her about the years that were ahead? Wow, I feel like I'm going to cry. <laughs> I kind of think I am. Um, one of my early readers actually said, she said, I, I just want to, t- I just want to go hug the 2010 Aaron and, and tell her it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So I would tell her it's going to be okay. And I would look her in the eyes and say, you have dignity and worth. And I would tell her there is hope. I would also tell her, sweetheart, you have an income problem. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, I know you really want to stay at home with your kids, but you're going to have to figure out some way to create more income for your family. And you can do it. You can do it. There are ways that you could do it. You have God-given gifts and talents and skills and personality that you can create more income for your family. I would also tell her, do not be ashamed to be on government aid. Be okay with accepting this and just hold your head high. And that one day you could take this journey that you've been through and then you, you could help others who are facing the same trials that you face then now. Oh, it's so beautiful. I love that. I often wish I could go back and tell a past <laughs> version of myself, it's going to be okay. It really is. It really is. Oh, this was so good, Erin. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk through some of this again. I know I keep saying it, but it's a really, it's a hard thing to sit down and talk about 
personal finances and in hardships along the way. So I so appreciate you doing this. Now for people who want to kind of follow up with you, follow you on social media and get to know more about you and, and find you around the web, remind us where we can find you in your various places around the internet. Yes. Well, thank you so much. They can find me at thehumbledhomemaker.com. That's my blog. And they could also find my book, more information about it at morethanjustmakingit.com. And we do have some pre-order bonuses for anyone that orders between now and September 12th. The book comes out September 5th, but I'm going to keep the bonuses around a little bit longer. But then after um, those go away, there is going to be more bonuses, uh, a book club guide and some other resources for people to really take what I talk about in the book and make it action and reality for their families. I'm on Instagram at The Humbled Homemaker and I'm on Facebook. Pinterest, pretty much all those places too. If they are looking for some practical steps about how to eat well on a budget, they can go to eatingwellonabudget.com and I have a free five-day video e-course that they can take there. Oh, I love that. That's so great. So helpful. And I love that you're doing a book club discussion with it. I think this would be really, it's a great book to share with people because another thing about personal finances is we don't always know what people are going through. We don't know their what their checkbook looks like, no matter what they're living like on the outside, you never know who might Mm -hmm. be helped by this message. So, and I'm really hoping too, that those who aren't struggling financially will still read the book and that they will be able to hopefully find, cultivate some more empathy. Like if you, if your listeners are listening and they say, okay, well, I'm not struggling financially, but you know, I've, I've never really pondered this whole government aid question and I'm, I'm struggling with what she's saying. Then I really encourage them to read the book and you know what? They may find out that they disagree with me or they might find out that, wow, I never looked at it that way before. And that would be my hope of course, but I encourage them to look look it up as well. I could I could see some intense discussion in some book clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, that's what great books do. They help us to open our mind and consider perspectives that we had not considered before. So more than just making it with Erin Odom. Thank you again, Erin, so much for coming on Sorta Awesome. And Awesomes, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see y'all next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.